Well, welcome everyone to uh, another podcast here with James North Baptist Church. Uh, my name is David Heska, and I'm here today with uh, Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Paul, uh, Tim, and Andrew. And we wanted to host uh, this one and our second podcast that we're going to do primarily to educate our church family. Um, it's not our intention uh, for these to go viral, or uh, there are a lot of numerous other resources out there, obviously. We want to take these next few minutes to share with you uh, some of the discussion we've been having um, as elders behind the scenes uh, over the past few months. And so the topic first that we're going to talk about now is the role of church and government. And so my first question that uh, we're going to share different uh, biblical basis and Bible passages. Uh, here's the question. What are some Bible passages we should reflect on? when we consider the role of the church and government. Tim, do you want to go first? Sure. So one of them is Romans 13, 1 to 7, which says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Mm. Anything, Tim, just to mm. kind of summarize that passage that you'd want to highlight for everyone? Yeah, like, I think the word that really stands out to me is be subject to the governing authorities, mm. right? And I don't know if it's in this passage or the Peter passage, but it also talks about honoring those authorities. So going, how do we do those two things? Very good. Andrew has Acts chapter 5. Yeah, so the context here is when Peter and the apostles are preaching and teaching in Jesus' name, and they get arrested and imprisoned. Uh, and finally, they're brought uh, before the high priest. And uh, I'll just go ahead and starting at verse 27. And when they had brought them... They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. It's a good summary at the end, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what else do you want to add to yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that, that, that's it. We must obey God rather than men. Right. And is that something we need to consider? Paul has uh, Mark chapter 12. Yeah, this is the context of their coming to Jesus and trying to catch him in his words. Uh, so the Pharisees and Herodians come to him and say, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? 
Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. And they were amazed at him. And I think this passage, it just it summarizes government has a role. There is a place that uh, they, have, they have rights. There is that which they can call on citizens to pay. And so you give the coin, give the tax, where it's called upon. And I'm going to read uh, First Peter, and then Dwayne will do uh, the Daniel summary. But in First Peter chapter 2, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that then we, when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And yeah, so Tim, that kind of flows out from what you were saying before about honoring those who are um, over us. And Dwayne, do you want to summarize Daniel chapter 3 and chapter 6? We also have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, where King Nebuchadnezzar has created the gold image calls everyone to bow down and to worship to that image, and if they don't, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego determined not to bow down, believing that God can save them. They even tell the king when he's, they're brought before him that even if he does not, they will not bow down before him. And, uh, of course, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, God rescues them because someone like the Son of God shows up into the furnace with them. Some would say that that's a, a pre-incarnate Christ who has shown up. And, uh, and they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke. And then you think of Daniel 6, where King Darius now is commanding that no one can pray for 30 days except to him. Um, and Daniel continues to pray, not defiantly, but in the way that he's always prayed, um, facing Jerusalem in his window. And, of course, anyone who does pray to anyone but the king is to be thrown into the lion's den. He's thrown into the lion's den. An angel is sent to shut the mouths of the lion. And Daniel is rescued. And so I think as we think through these passages, you do realize that there is some contrast. This is one of those interesting things in Scripture where this isn't always a clear-cut set of doctrine that we follow, where at times some people are choosing, rightly so, to defy the authorities that are there to honor God, and at times they're completely subject to them. Great points. Anything else anyone wants to jump in at regarding what we learn from some of these passages? I, I would just add what Dwayne just said. It's not clear-cut at times. No, it's not. <laughs> right? Like there is, you've got to figure out what is, what's some of the motivations behind government, behind some of the comments that are made, and sort these things out and decide what our responses are as, as followers of Christ first, but then also subject as citizens to our government. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with the complexity of it like you think the romans passage and like be subject to the government and going this is the roman empire caesar who ran a very um (laughs) immoral (laughs) government right Right. and yet paul's writing be subject to them you know you see in a passage like the acts passage where the where the apostles are saying like 
we have to be subject as to God than to men. And so th there is that complexity. So the next question I wanted to ask is, given all of these passages, how do we understand the relationship between the church and the state? Dwayne, did you want to start with kind of a brief summary of church totally yeah. aligned with the state or totally separate? Yeah, and separate? of course, this, this is incredibly complex, right? Yeah. And Christians have different opinions on this. Some who believe that, in essence, the church should run the state. And so what does it look like that, in essence, the state should be subject to the church? Um, some, some who believe that, that the church and state should be totally separate to the sense that, uh, sense that we actually separate ourselves out from society. We almost live some type of monastic lives where we're not even governed by the state or as little influence as possible. And then there's others that recognize, well, the state has a sphere of influence and the church has a sphere of influence. In each of those spheres of influence, there will be some overlap. And in that overlap, God is asking us to think through how we call each other to that balance of overlap. Because as men here at James North who lead our church are responsible to God for our leadership of the church, not to the state. Um, and yet we also recognize that the state has some influence in that. We still choose as a, as a church at James North to follow laws around charity. And let's say uh, many people just got their receipts from us around receiving. And so there's complexities here and different views of opinion. Yeah, so we as a church would believe that the church and the state are separate spheres of influence, like you said at the end there, Dwayne. And similarly, when we were building this building, there were building code laws, sprinkler requirements that maybe we would have disagreed with them because we thought maybe that wasn't the greatest rule, but we still followed them. So we agreed with most sprinkler laws, but there <laughs> is a sprinkler under the stage in the gym that we're all like, why is that there under the three feet yeah. of space? But it's there. <laughs> three feet of concrete space. <laughs> three feet of concrete space. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think back to our issue, particularly here with the passages and the um, lockdown, two lockdowns that we've just had and gone through. How has that impacted some of the discussions we've been having related to church and government? Uh, well, for starters, I might just say like, we, we, we've just identified that there's these two sort of overlapping uh, spheres of influence. Uh, and I think, I think one of the roles that each has is to sort of uh, keep each other in check. So there's going to be times, and there has been times in history, uh, where the church has overstepped its bounds. And either the state or others that has to come in and say, hey, listen, you know, we talk about medieval times and uh, there's plenty of error you know, on behalf of the church and overreach on behalf of the church, if we look at church history. Um, and there, in those cases, we could, you know, have a state or others come in and, and sort of correct us, uh, keep us in check. Um, likewise, there are times, many times in history, where the state has overreached its bounds, and uh, the church is in a unique position and quite powerful still, even though, uh, you know, there's a lot of people banded together that could have influence that could uh, keep the state accountable when they overreach. And so there's obviously today we have that question of that we wrestle with as an elders board, like, okay, is the church, or sorry, is the state overreaching here? Mm -hmm. Are they going beyond their scope to say that the doors of the church have to remain closed for months? That mm -hmm. businesses have to stay closed where some stay open, like, I don't know, Walmart, uh, 
uh, and uh, Dwayne's store has to be closed, <laughs> right? Like Amy's, Amy's, Amy's store. store. Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna listen to this. <laughs> Amy's store has to be closed. I mean, that's just not fair. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of big questions that we as, le- as, as church leaders can be asking. And I think we as the church uh, could and should have a role in keeping our government in check. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that we're talking about our state in Canada and the church. And we could be talking about America, we could be talking about China, we could be talking about, uh, you know, you, know, you just name a country, mm-hmm. South America, Australia, mm-hmm. and, and there will be different spheres of influence between state and church in those places. Yeah. Paul, is there anything, question three that we wanted to jump into is about how Christians respond when the government has overstepped its bounds. And this is going to be our last kind of question really for this podcast related to like when should we disobey what why was it that the new testament believers there in acts did disobey and are there any maybe historical examples paul or even real life today in other country examples where we would say yeah like we're behind those people and disobeying the government um I think the key issue becomes, is the church or are Christians being separated out as individuals? Mm-hmm. You know, is Christian worship being targeted individually, I think is is a question they always have to ask in, in our context. I mean, that's, um, you know, Peter in Acts, as, as he gets questioned, he says, no, I'm going to obey God and not man. So you have to at some point say, what are the the motives, what is, what's happening in our government? Is this something just for us, or is this their civil responsibility? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've talked about this is a public health issue. That's a government role. They're, you know, overseeing public health, and so we submit to that, we follow the rules for that. Mm-hmm. But are they overstepping in sort of some of the economics, and is it a political issue, or is it a worship? Is this a following Christ kind of issue? Mm-hmm. And that's where it becomes hard. So, I mean, examples, I mean, believers in China are persecuted directly. The, the Christian church was tried to, they tried to stamp it out. And so the church went underground because they said, no, we're going to meet. You can't stamp us out. You can't stop us because Christ, we're going to obey him, not you. Oh, we had a missionary couple visiting us recently who said, you know, where they were serving the Lord, you know, that if someone comes to faith in Christ under their ministry, we asked about the formation of the church. They said, actually, we, we evacuate them from the country for fear of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, think, I think we have to sort of consider, too, that um, when we talk about targeting Christians, targeting us, or targeting the church, uh, there's many times in history where it's not, it's still persecution. I think we would all agree that, for example, in communist Soviet Union, when religion, you know, just a massive ban or, or attack on a religion, or we look at communist China. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly it's not only the Christian church in China that's being persecuted. Muslims are being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in Soviet Union, uh, it wasn't just the church. I would say it was probably mostly the church, but I, I imagine religion in general was, was sort of targeted. And if you look at that, I mean, we talked a little bit about this already, but if you look at the, the story of Daniel, and I know Paul will chime in mm-hmm. here too, but... Uh, you know, that edict or that injunction that King Darius said was, it wasn't just against Daniel. In fact, it wasn't even just against the Jews. It was against all religions across the board. No one could pray to anyone 
I imagine in that day, that under King Darius's reign, there would have been many different religions, aside from just the Jewish religion, that would fall under that kingdom. And it was 30 days, and you think, hey, Daniel, why don't you just, like, not do it publicly for 30 days? Yeah, I mean, that's the other, yeah, that's a great additional point. It's kind of like, so it wasn't just targeted against <coughs> Daniel, as far as the law goes. Uh, and it was only 30 days, so, like, Daniel, you know, just don't pray for 30 days. It's only 30 days. Mm. Like, surely you could, God would understand that you just wouldn't pray for 30 days to him. And sort of, uh, you can see where there's some, some similarities. It's not a perfect example, uh, but you can see where there's questions that we can ask anyways. And so I, th I think about some of the even historic examples of a Corey Ten Boom in World War II, and people would say, well, do you, do you have to disobey the government? Do you have to hide some of the Jewish people in your house? That's against the law. Why are you doing that? And people of principle said, no, I'm not going to obey what this government is saying to do. I have a higher authority um, in God himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when I look at like some of the Bible passages that we read, right, like the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the Daniel, the lion's den, and uh, Peter and John, Wine's life, they're they're all opposing it when it's pushing on like their worship, right? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told only worship the idol of the king, right? Which is in direct defiance of the first commandment, right? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only, mm -hmm. right? Like on Daniel, like they're pushing on him praying to God. On Peter and John, like they're pushing on their ability to proclaim the gospel. And so, like, in all three of those cases, like, it's directly related to their ability to um, fulfill their duty and right to worship. Um, so there, there's consistency there. Mm -hmm. Like, to your example of, like, Corey Ten Boom, like, you look at Rahab, yeah. right? And, like, she, she hid the spies, right? Commits civil disobedience, and yet, like, she's honored in Scripture. Like, she's mentioned in Hebrews 11, right? I think in that there are things, though, that we do need to consider. What do we do, right? What do we do as a church when we think we're either mislabeled, misrepresented, right? Mm -hmm. So an example like this, the church wasn't considered and still isn't at this point an essential service. And so we would actually argue that it is an essential service. And so part of what we have done at James North is we have talked to Public Health Hamilton, Public Health Ontario, the mayor's office, the premier's office, and they've actually called us back on occasion um, looking for our advice around why is that so? Why is the church gathering essential? And mm -hmm. when we asked them, you know, as they start to list things, they said, well, where does pastor pastoral counseling fit in? If you're concerned about the mental health crisis, number of people, not just in our church, but also in our community, find um, s some type of, of guidance in pastoral counseling. Where does that fit? We also offer mental health services here. We offer emergency food services. And all of a sudden, they begin to realize that the church has a more essential role than they anticipated and um, that actually pushes them to be able to consider further things. So, so there are other, there are levels of, of, of um, involvement, right? Our MPs, our MPPs talking to them. But at some point then we all have to ask ourselves, at what point is the government asking us to do something that will sear our conscience against the way that we're called to serve and worship our God? And in doing so, do we need to take a step further into some form of civil disobedience? And I, I think that's a great point, Dwayne, to mention there are different responses on the path to civil disobedience. There, we, we as elders were talking about, do we just open up our doors on a Sunday morning? And we said, well, 
that is an extreme response um, that probably there should be some baby steps before that in terms of engagement with the um, different politicians that we have, calling public health, figuring out are there restrictions that we are able to more easily follow and still gather as a church community rather than just maybe um, taking an extreme disobedience, uh, civil disobedience um, example. Right, and another example of this right now is Bill C-6. Right, uh, yeah, it's right. not just related it's to COVID related and the uh, health crisis. And in, and in Bill C-6, people have come to me asking, like, what's our response? What does this look like? And I encourage people now, we could write briefs before I wrote one of the briefs. I, I, I helped to form three of them uh, and encourage others to do so, but one I wrote myself. And I said to people, right now, it's, it's going before the Senate, so now you write a senator. And I've had to guide some people in that because we know how to write our, our MPs. I've never written a senator before. I need to figure out who... Who do I write as senator? What does that look like? like? Dwayne, just for our listeners, like, can you give a, give a quick explanation of what Bill C-6 is? Yeah, so Bill C-6 is the bill coming into, uh, an, into, into government law um, that is around conversion therapy. Uh, and conversion therapy is something that should be banned in its original practice around the horrors of people trying to alter other people's sexuality um, through all kinds of shock therapy, things like that. But this bill reads poorly um, and, and is a, a more encompassing bill and could be argued to include things like the reading of passages of scripture, uh, uh, publicly declaring what we believe, um, even conversations in pastoral counseling that in any way would, would, would suppress anyone's uh, type or expression of sexuality. And so there's been a group of us that have just been working toward uh, like large groups across Canada, a better reading of this, a better writing of it, and how it's included. Very good. So I think as we conclude this part of the this podcast, are there any kind of closing statements that anyone wanted to make? We're going to do a second one more about church and what church means, but for this specific issue related to how should we as Christians respond if the government um, oversteps so when does disobey, maybe related to some of the passage we talked about at the start, any kind of closing comments anyone wants to make related to that? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think in relating, you know, in relation to our current situation, mm -hmm. I think some questions that it's helpful for our people to know is we're constantly asking, like, how long is too long? And at what point do we, as a group of, you know, five leaders decide, okay, now, like, we just can't keep doing this. I mean, after the first lockdown, uh, you know, we were kind of thinking, oh, they'll never do that again. I mean, that was so devastating to the economy. Surely they would never do that again. And then there went the second lockdown, of course. Now the second lockdown, praise the Lord, is over. And, uh, and there's already talk of the third lockdown. And there's whispers and kind of like, it's almost like you can predict it. It's going to come before summer. And then after summer will come, we'll have a reprieve. And then in the fall, it'll be another lockdown maybe. And sort of for us to sort of be wrestling with this question, uh, how long is too long for the church not to gather? There, I was just going to say, there's always valid reasons why we might say, no, we need, we got to stop. We can't, like there's valid reasons to say like a snowstorm. We've talked about this. Where, you know, you close the doors of the church. But we have to admit it's pretty unprecedented that in, I think, I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, in pretty much all of church history, for the doors of the church to be closed for months? I mean, has this ever happened before? 
stay tuned for podcast number two. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we'll, we'll, we'll end this one. And uh, yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna jump into that one next. Very good. Thank.